Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the OGGN HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network and sponsored by Anderson Hauser. Anderson Hauser is a global leader in measurement instrumentation services and solutions for industrial process engineering. They provide process solutions for flow measurement, level pressure, temperature analytics, and much more, optimizing processes and efficiency, safety, and environmental impact. They serve many industries across the globe, including a focus in oil and gas. Anderson Hauser, the people for process automation. In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, my guest on the show is Miss Lola Stovall. She's the counsel for the Zuber Lawler Law Firm. Uh, Lola, thanks for coming on the show today. Russell, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a great pleasure, and it's a great to be back in the oil patch and speak about oil and gas. Well, that's great. Let me tell you what's great. Uh, and, of course, since there's no video on this, I'll have to explain this to the audience. But uh, we're actually doing the first face-to-face HSE podcast since COVID. And I'm really excited about that. Uh, We are uh, at the OGGN Industry Mixer, which for those of you who are in uh, Houston, that's normally held the last Thursday of every month at the Cannon uh, on Britmore. And uh, it's a a great place to come and and, uh, be entertained and network and mix and a little food and drink and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, check us out on that. We're excited to be here today. Uh, so Lola, one of the things that came out of the COVID with us recording over the internet all the time, it, it actually broadened my horizons on the guests I could have. Because before, when we always did face-to-face interviews, I'd either go to a conference and you know, meet the keynote speakers there and interview them, or I had to figure out a time when they were coming to Houston. And by doing it remotely, like we've done for the last two years, I mean, I've interviewed people in in Dubai and Paris and London, I mean, uh, Canada, all over the world. Uh, But you're here, you actually are in in Houston. uh, So this is where you actually practice here in Houston, right? Yes, absolutely. I have been practicing oil and gas law in Houston for about 20 years. And I started out with Exxon and stayed there for about six and a half years. And after that, I was with Sheridan Production, uh, which was a a smaller series of PE funds that operated um, several thousand wells in several states, including Houston. But yes, my uh, practice is focused on Texas, and I'm based here. Okay, so... Uh, I can tell by your accent, you must be a native Texan, right? (laughs) Well, (laughs) great wild guess. I'm actually from Russia originally, and I came here after college, went to law school at the University of Utah, and then was immediately recruited by Exxon, and hence uh, became an energy lawyer. And for, like I said, for about 20 years, it was traditional oil and gas. Uh, They call us dirt lawyers people who deal with leases and drilling contracts. And then um, 
after that, pivoted towards clean tech and would be excited to tell you a little bit more about that later. Yeah, we'll talk about clean tech here uh, probably at the at the end of the podcast. But so let me make sure I understand it. You went to university. I, I guess that's what they call it in Russia. You went to university in Russia and then from there came to the States, and that's where you went to law school in Utah. That's quite an interesting journey. That's correct. I have a GED from the University of Utah. Great school. Love to mention my alma mater. It's a very small law law school class usually, and just the great attention from the professors, even though it is a state school. So, and after that, actually never took the bar in Utah, moved straight to Texas, took the bar in Texas. Now, why did you do that? Uh, well, Exxon gave me an offer I could not refuse. Really? <laughs> well, that's great. Well, you must be smart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's impressive. So you've got experience with a major, and then you went from a major to a small independent, and now you're with Zuber Lawler. Let's uh, talk about, that's a law firm. I guess it has multiple specialties, including oil and gas. That's right. So Zuber Lawler is a boutique firm that specializes in, uh, frankly, emerging industries. Uh, we look at industries that we believe will flourish uh, 10 years from now. And uh, the energy type of work that I do there is focused on clean tech more than traditional oil and gas. But in addition to energy, they deal with cryptocurrency, with artificial intelligence, metaverse, Esports, e-gaming, and a lot of different uh, specialties that a lot of, um, I guess, traditional industry does not yet uh, recognize. Uh, it's a very exciting practice. Uh, they have about 50 lawyers um, spread out uh, throughout the United States, and we have about 300 lawyers um, globally that we're affiliated with, but they're not directly part of the firm. Okay, so you've mentioned clean tech twice now, and we're going to talk about clean tech at at the end of the podcast. So we're gonna we're gonna have that kind of hanging out as a carrot for everybody to get to the end of the podcast. But what the, the one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show, uh, because of your legal experience, your time with Exxon and also at Sheridan, you were involved in a lot of litigation, and that gave you an expertise actually derived from some unfortunate situations. Uh, in other words, you had to clean up a lot of messes, no pun intended. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about that. Share some things you learned uh, and from your experiences that would be helpful to our audience as it relates to HSE. Correct. Uh, being in-house, you don't really choose uh, the type of work uh, that you do. It just walks in your door. And the type of work I've done uh, sort of reminds me of the movie Michael Clayton with George Clooney in it, if you, uh, right, if right. you know what I'm talking about. So, yes, there was a lot of unfortunate incidents um, at Exxon and uh, at uh, the other company. And, of course, also as part of a law firm, you also have to deal with whatever clients bring. Um, some of the probably most memorable uh, litigation incident and litigation I was involved uh, with was in West Texas and unfortunately was um, several victims including an H2S fatality and uh, as you can imagine not only litigation resulted out of that tragedy but also a lot of regulatory enforcement and investigations by several agencies the Railroad Commission OSHA and um, of course sometimes you have EPA involved and uh, 
that the just uh, it's it's a it's an incident in the oil field. It's just the beginning of the process that lasts a lot of time, several years. Absolutely. So, based upon all that, what's the most important things you learned? So you can never over prepare ahead of time. That is when all of your planning should be taking place. Uh, you do have to preserve all the evidence and all the records when the incident happens, but the most important prevention and the most important things you can do for the safety of your employees and the safety of your company, of course, happened before, and that's planning, that's safety planning. Then um, the other important aspect of it, uh, which is, even more important today when you have uh, SEC forcing uh, regulatory disclosures on the ESG subjects, which include environmental and include safety, uh, that uh, highlights the importance of your team being on the, on the same page with your senior management because in the course of litigation and in the course of regulatory investigations, uh, the real facts come out. And a lot of times the senior management that's filing the disclosure does not actually have uh, and, and can't have hands-on knowledge of what's going on in the field. So it's very important that everybody stays on the same page uh, once the incident occurs. And of course, um, desirable and advisable for everybody to be on the same page before bad things happen. Well, you know, we talk a lot on this podcast that uh, this podcast isn't just for HSE professionals, this podcast is for everybody because everybody's concerned with HSE. And quite frankly, if your management isn't committed to it and if they are not able to pass that all the way down to the field, but what you're pointing out here is you can't have this, the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing, especially if they're filing ESG reports and saying we're doing this and then you go talk to somebody in the field and no, we're not doing that. And when an incident like a, especially a fatality incident, that's when you get caught, right? Right. And a lot of it also keep in mind that the penalties are a lot of times proportionate to the perception as opposed to the actual facts of the intent. So uh, a lot of things that don't seem important in the day-to-day -day operations become of utmost importance and kind of decide the case uh, when things happen. And one of the such examples is where does your budget reside? If your HSC person does not have a budget that they can articulate, that's a lot of times a bad fact. You don't think about it. It's just a financial function uh, during the day-to-day, -day, but it does come out as an important point uh, when things go wrong. Well, and then if, if everybody's not on the same page, going back to litigation, when you're dealing with lawsuits and that sort of thing, uh, you're, you're really in trouble when you get different people from the company on the stand and they're not telling the same story, right? Right. The same story is a problem, of course. And honestly, like you said, this podcast is not only for HSC professionals. Hopefully, it's also for people who work in the oil field and work in, on the gas wells. And I think it's important to remember that uh, when people push themselves beyond the limit, and a lot of us are overachievers and we really want to, that puts you in danger, that puts your company in danger. And sometimes it's just important to exercise moderation in your workday and not just follow the procedures, but to be arrested, to just 
just do your best. It's not only up to the company to be cautious and do its best. It's also up to the employees. And a lot of times when we're overzealous, we can hurt ourselves too. That's also a lesson that we should all remember. And as a lawyer, I can tell you there is a stopping point beyond which you don't want to be driving that pen on the paper. Exactly. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. So just continuing with this, everybody being on the same page, that means proper reporting procedures are very important, right? Correct. And I will tell you, again, being a lawyer, uh, even I have difficult time when I'm looking at the state's rules for the first time, figuring out what is the sequence of reporting, what is supposed to be reported immediately, where you have 24 hours. So uh, the one lesson I can impart, you will have to, to talk to your HSC person and uh, make sure that they know who they're reporting to. In some states, uh, they have to call police right away. In Texas, a lot of reporting has to happen to Texas Railroad Commission, and the regulations will say immediate reporting. And, of course, OSHA has its own rules, but I think the important thing to remember is that you can never go wrong reporting because if the incident turns out to be not reportable, it's no big deal. It, it, it is really not a black mark on your record. But if it's not reportable, if it is reportable and you report late, then it does go to show that you're negligent in your overall conduct of the business. And it, it really is taken very, very seriously by the regulators. So uh, if we could... Um, emphasize something uh, today that would be reporting promptly, reporting often, and reporting to the right agencies. Okay, so we'll entitle this podcast Report, Report, Report. Absolutely, Russell. That's a great title for today's show. Okay, that's what we'll do. But let's go back to plan ahead. And that's kind of, how do I say this? We have phrases sometimes. I mean, you say plan ahead. Well, of course you should you should plan ahead. Well, what are some specifics in that planning ahead? And so what I hear you saying here is you had you had better know if an incident happens, you, you part of your planning ahead process is I've got this sequence of, and I've also got this this time frame of who I report to and when I report to. And you need to make sure you have all those ducks in a row, right? Correct. And in that sequence, and, it, and I will say hats off to the employee who ends up in the position of being the first line having to figure out who to report to, because it is a challenging task, especially in a stressful situation, because you have regulatory agencies to report to. You also have your chain of command inside the management lines to report. And not to be forgotten, you have to report some things to insurance. And of course, your headquarters will decide to report or not to report on that particular item, but it is uh, not least of all. Last mentioned, but not least important, because there you could lose coverage if you don't uh, report things timely. Okay, let's, let's talk about that. Um, so again, going back to plan ahead, everybody needs to know, somebody needs to be in charge. Somebody needs to have already figured out who they have to report to, and somebody should be able to uh, say and and actually have in their planning process probably written down here's what we have to do in a in a certain situation but reporting reporting to the insurance provider and I, I hear i know what everybody's thinking out there oh we don't want to involve the insurance company it'll make our rates go up 
So tell me why why it's important uh, to report to your insurance provider, because I heard you say a while ago uh, a lack of proper reporting could mean you lose coverage. Is that right? Correct. And so um, it's an interesting balancing act that you bring up, Russell. You're absolutely right that uh, the factors there have to be weighed. But again, in my experience, if we look at the standard forms that are out there in the oil field and we don't think about um, exceptions that an insurance company could have written in, generally uh, you have a duty to report to the insurer even if you don't claim, um, if you not seek to recover losses from them, there is still a reporting obligation there. And um, the other point is that they are the ones that will provide you with defense and they will provide you counsel that will go out to the site and document immediately what happened. That said, it's a bad idea to be waiting to, for a lawyer to come out uh, before you re figure out who you should be reporting to. You should be calling police right away. You should be calling your management right away. You should be calling all the regulatory agencies. And frankly, if we're speaking today not to Exxon as our only audience and the Exxons as our only audience, but we're talking to small and medium-sized operators as well, you should have a handbook. And you should have a state-by-state -state handbook for every state where you operate with all the phone numbers because, again, the state procedures vary, the state uh, agencies vary, and if you're transferring your person from Texas to Oklahoma, they may not even know what the agency is called locally. So it's very, very important to have that material in their hands before they come out to the operational site, before they commence working in the field. Um, the other reason that it's important to uh, report to the insurance company is that in some instances, um, and a lot of instances actually in the oil field, not just an oil spill, but also release of some toxic substance such as S2S, is environmental pollution. And most policies have um, the built-in protection for sudden and accidental pollution, but it's not uh, an intuitive definition. It's based on the terms of the policy, and we'll talk about it in a second. So you have gradual pollution, which is seepage that is occurring over time. And unless you purchase a specific environmental gradual pollution policy, you probably don't have that coverage. But then you have okay, something. Okay, now that's, let's, let's, let's emphasize that. Okay, you, if, if you have the standard, well, actually a, a standard general liability policy will exclude any kind of pollution liability, but most of the oil and gas type GL policies will will probably automatically provide the sudden and accidental, but they do not provide the gradual normally. And that you need to know that and, and probably need to be looking into making sure you have that coverage, correct? That's right. Well, it's not really industry standard to carry that coverage. It depends on your size as the operator and your risk tolerance. It's very limited coverage, to be honest. And a lot of times companies buy that coverage at the time where they um, flip the assets so that they can cap their liability for something that uh, will be detected and allocated down the road after the sale of the assets. It's not common to be buying a gradual pollution coverage, again, because it's very limited and it's very expensive for your day-to-day -day operations. But you're right, Russell, in the general liability policy that is intended for oil and gas operations, you will have sudden and accidental pollution coverage. However, sudden and accidental is tied to how quickly you discover and how quickly you report the incident. Right, right. It, 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 or else it can become gradual and now you 
back to where you just oh, said you don't right. have the coverage. So it's not a very intuitive definition because it really has less to do with facts than with the discovery and the reporting of the facts. And here you uh, oftentimes have a disconnect because if um, the oil field felt that the oil field personnel felt that that was something that was contained and they could deal with and they, it was a small spill, they didn't have to report, um, then uh, your management may not be aware and your people in the headquarters that are responsible for reporting to the insurance carrier just may not know in time to report. Uh, when you discover is usually when you get sued by the landowner. And usually you don't get sued by the landowner, unfortunately, in 30 days. Fortunately, unfortunately, it doesn't happen in 30 days. And so now there is a scramble to figure out, is it covered? Do I report it? What do I say? And the problem here is that if you're not careful about it, you could end up not only in a contractual dispute with your insurance company, but also in an insurance fraud situation. Um, because there is some knowledge that may be indirect, but imputed to you as the management of the company. So it is quite problematic because in Texas we have um, criminal liability statutes relating to insurance fraud. More importantly, it's not just the liability, but it's also the duty to report. So you may end up with your team in a, team in a situation of a little bit of a controversy because some people may have to choose between exposing themselves to personal liability or reporting on their superiors, which is quite an uncomfortable situation. So just to circle back, what's there to do Try to at least report internally every single thing that happens. Make sure that your field personnel know that they're not going to be penalized for reporting to the headquarters things that happen, and then you can sort it out from there. So bottom line is you better have a good relationship with your insurance broker, maybe your attorney as well, and you guys need to all be on the same page, right? Well, I think that the bottom line is, like you said, report, report, report. Okay. All right. So with that, let's, let's talk about clean tech. Now is, is that what you do for, uh, uh, Zuber Lawler? You're so yes. So it's an exciting part of my practice. Uh, I do a lot of M&A and corporate work and, uh, clean tech part is uh, basically the revitalization of the energy industry is probably the best way to describe it. You have a lot of innovative projects that are going on right now that um, some of our audience may or may not know about. And by the term clean tech, we mean um, really innovation. So the work splits into two parts. You have new enterprises that are being created, new businesses, new startups. You have mergers where bigger companies buy carbon-reducing technologies and uh, carbon-reducing startups. And you also have a lot of patent work, of course. And we were looking at the chart recently of international inventions being patented. And clean tech inventions, I think, are many times recently have been outweighing any other technological invention in the energy industry. And that's just the recent statistics over the last five to 10 years. It's just been a huge uptick in the, in the patent protections, honestly, primarily. So the interesting things on the clean tech side that are happening in the oil field, for example, are data server operations and uh, cryptocurrency mining operations, because those are huge consumers of energy. And what we have is flare gas uh, utilized 
to power those operations. So what you do is you replace the huge energy, huge electricity consumption of the lines with on-site powered uh, data storage servers that utilize the gas that otherwise would be flared. So that's one of the interesting applications of clean tech that I've been dealing with lately. And frankly, that's not just done in Texas, that's done all over the country. I have some projects that are going on in North Dakota that are super, um, super active. It's one of the states that's really incentivized those operations and I'm hoping that Texas will be close on their heels. Well, I hope so too. Um, that's, I really appreciate your perspectives from someone with a, a firm legal background and, and expertise. And, and it's, it's been delightful to sit across someone face to face and uh, talk to them uh, on this podcast. I hope we can have you on again sometime uh, to perhaps discuss even more legal issues as it relates to HSE. Uh, again, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thanks to Zuber Lawler. We'll post your LinkedIn URL in the show notes along with the, uh, with the firm's website. I bet there's a lot of Lola Stovalls on LinkedIn, right? Uh, thanks, Russell. No, there is actually only one Lola Stovall, <laughs> so I'm easy to find. And thank you so much uh, for having me on your show. And I'm really looking forward to the other part of this event that involves the networking at OGGN. Yeah, I, we, I have this uh, super-duper professional microphone that's supposed to cut out background noise, but I can hear in my earphones, uh, I can, can hear the event taking place out there even though we're in a, in a closed-off room. So, yeah, let's, let's get out there. And, again, for those of you in Houston, uh, you guys come and join us uh, on the last Thursday of, of every month. Uh, finally, as uh, we shut this thing down, as always, you can find in the show notes my LinkedIn contact info where you can reach out to me. I don't know if I'm the only Russell Stewart on LinkedIn or not. I, I, I've actually never checked. Uh, probably not. Uh, but please uh, reach out to me. Let me know what you're enjoying about the show, suggestions for content you might like to hear. Also, if you're looking for a speaker at your conference or meeting, you can contact me about having someone from our OGGN Speakers Bureau, including Mark LaCour and myself. Uh, so thanks to everyone out there for listening. Tune in again next week for another episode of Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. And please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify, whatever platform you're listening to. Uh, like us on LinkedIn uh, and use all of your social networking to tell your friends about us, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.